Well, if you'll please take a copy of God's Word and turn to Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10. We have a tall order this morning. We are going to uh, summarize and look thematically at eight plagues. Uh, So uh, pray for me. (laughs) No, but uh, we've been in Exodus for a while now, and we're looking at it in chunks, and um, there's so much good stuff here. We're going to leave some meat on the bone today. Uh, Each one of these plagues is is worthy of our attention. But there's also something to be said to look at God's Word from a 30,000-foot view and be able to pull things together thematically. We see some pretty amazing things about our God this morning. So let's, uh, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help, and then we'll look at His Word. Our Father in, our he- in heaven, we, we thank You for Your Word, for the Bible. We thank You that it is trustworthy and true, that it is inerrant, that it is powerful, and that You use it in our lives. We come today, Lord, asking for Your help. Send forth Your Holy Spirit to give unction and anointing to the preacher and the hearer alike. It's the name of our Savior, Jesus, we ask it. Amen. So we're going to start, uh, we're just going to read as our main text, the ninth plague, and we're, then we're going to work our way towards it, looking at each plague between two and nine briefly. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For all the day you see it, you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. In August 2005, the Category 5 Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, and then it's made its way inward. Do you know that it caused $125 billion, with a B, $125 billion worth of damage? And I checked this quote, this this stat in about three different places, led to the deaths of over 1,800 people. I had forgotten that it had gotten that bad. Immediately, people from the right and the left began to ask some questions. Why did this happen? Where was God? Some people said God wasn't present, that He didn't have anything to do with it. Others said that it was God's judgment on an unrighteous New Orleans there were, un- there were helpful and unhelpful answers and questions that were flying around the news in those days. Well, as bad as Katrina was, combined with one we know well, you know well, Ivan, Harvey, Irma, Maria, and other great storms that have recently hit, and as many great questions as these arose, 
These pale in comparison to a series of disasters that struck Egypt about 1,440 years before Christ was born. These weren't just any disasters. They couldn't have been predicted from um, Sphinx's weather satellites and his app. These were ones that were supernatural. Came straight from the Lord. He was involved in Katrina. He was involved with these especially. And along the way, even as they intensified, God said, if you let my people go, this will stop. But through all of this, Pharaoh hardened his heart. His heart was hardened. Indeed, even the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he might get the glory. You know, we don't have a lot of answers of why Katrina happened. We can say biblically that God is present and He is in control of all things down to the smallest atom, the smallest molecule. And yet at the same time, we live in a broken world. And until Christ comes back, we're going to live in a fallen creation that will be plagued by disasters. We can ask what in the world was going on there, but we know in this situation what exactly was God's purpose, rather His purposes, for bringing the ten plagues in our eight we're looking at today, two through nine. We know exactly what His purposes were here. Look, if you will, at chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. We really have a summary of why the plagues. Why the plagues. 9, verses 14 through 17. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself. The Hebrew says, on your heart. And on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out of my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Yet you are still exalting yourself against my people, and will not let them go. There are a lot of ways that God could have freed His people from Egypt. He could have just transported them like a Star Trek movie. He could have just transported them straight from Egypt, straight to the Promised Land, but that's not what He did. Over the periods of months and months and months, He would send plague after plague for a reason. So that we and they might not trust in false gods. So that we and they might know that we are to trust in God's control and that we and they are to worship Him alone. You know, this is seen especially when we look at the ten plagues in our eight this morning through the lens of spiritual warfare. There is a battle that is going on here that is greater than gnats and flies and and boils and pestilence. Because each one of these plagues is directed uh, very significantly, very uh, intentionally rather, at different gods, false gods, of the Egyptians. The Egyptians of this era worshipped about 80 different false gods. 80. Have you ever seen on television these pistol competitions where you've got uh, one guy and he has a, a really fancy looking gun that he can reload faster than I can shoot and he has the silhouette targets, the metal plates out there and he must, as fast as he can, knock down each one of those metal plates. Well, that's a lot like what's going on here. That there are metal plates out in the field with the names of the Egyptian gods And the true God, the one God, is going to knock them out one by one, showing in these plagues that He is far greater than their false gods and our false gods. 
We may not worship, uh, hopefully you don't worship, gods by the name of Amon Ra and, and uh, Hecate and, and others, but, but we do worship idols, false gods, such as success, such as family, such as ball fields, you name it. The money in your account, what other people will think of you. We have our own idols. We have our own things that we run to. And God is going to show us in these texts, and He showed Pharaoh and his servants, that none of those things can save us. Only the Lord God of hosts can save us. Only the Lord gives us hope in this life and in the next. Well, you can divide these up in a lot of different ways. I I like the one that um, a preacher named Boyce uses where he divides the plagues up into being targeted against the false gods of the river Nile, of the land, and then the skies. And so that's, that's the division you see on your handout here. The first uh, of the two plagues we won't look at. That's uh, the one that Mark preached very ably a few weeks ago. But but we'll look at at the frogs. The frogs. God sent Moses and Aaron in the second plague to Pharaoh and warned him that if he didn't let his people go, that God would soon send swarms of frogs. Now that's an important word, this word swarm. It shows up in Genesis in the creation account. That thing God created swarms of beasts and he would do it again. He would send forth swarms of frogs even to the point where they would find themselves in the kneading bowls of the Egyptian women. And you know what happens when you mess with the kitchen of a woman. At first blush, this doesn't seem like a bad thing. I mean, I like frogs. You like frogs. I might even like some frog legs fried in some butter. I've never had them. I've always wanted to. But we're not talking about a dozen or so. You better believe you would call Jojo Holmes if you had two dozen frogs in your house. That's an infestation. But when God sent the frogs, when when Aaron reached his staff over the pools and over the the Nile and then frogs started coming out everywhere, we're not talking about a few frogs. We're talking about so many frogs you could not walk in your house because you would squish them as you go. We're talking about you're trying to eat and your porridge is there in front of you and before you can get it into your mouth, there are ten frogs in your bowl. This is a lot of frogs. But as bad as frogs are, there's some humor to this one. I think it's kind of a funny plague. There's some humor to this one. That's a, that's a bothersome thing. But there's a lot more going on because there was a, an Egyptian false god by the name of Hecate. I don't know if I'm pronouncing any of these correctly. Uh, there was a false god by the name of Hecate. And she was the goddess of fertility, but her second job, get this, was to control and to bless the crocodiles of the Nile so they could eat, what? Frogs. And it's even better. It's even better because she was often pictured as a frog. Egyptians were not allowed to kill frogs. Because it was to kill the image of one of their false gods. And yet, as they walked in their house, splat, 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 one frog after the next died. Their false god was shown to be unable to help. Unable to control what was going on. And yet the God of the Hebrew slaves, here is the one who is the, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the one who is controlling these frogs. And so finally Pharaoh relents. And you'll see this pattern time and time again. And can you imagine the stink of that land when all those frogs died at once? Have you ever had one of those gecko lizards get stuck in your door? You know how you know it's there? You can smell it on the way in. You're like, 
Is that me? No, it's the door. And, there's, and there is that lizard. Now, can you imagine you walk in and you don't smell the smell of one gecko stuck in your door? You smell thousands of dead frogs trying to scoop it up off your carpet. What mess that would make. Well, that didn't work. God, uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart. So God sends another plague, this time of gnats. You'll notice that each one of these plagues is going to intensify as we go along. We're not real sure what exactly, what kind of insect is in view here. The Hebrew word's ambiguous. It can mean gnats, fleas, lice, maggots, midges, sandflies, mosquitoes, or even something else. I don't think I'd like any of those things. Whatever they were, they were everywhere. I mean everywhere. Can you imagine if you put your spoon down in your porridge, you know, you're, you've kept it covered so you can keep the, the gnats out, and you're, you're stirring it really quickly, and then you, you pull off the cloth just a second just to get it to your mouth, and it is covered in gnats, or fleas, or lice, or maggots. I don't know which one of those sounds best. But, of course, there's something deeper going on here. The Egyptian god of the earth and soil... The earth and soil. Aaron would strike the the dust with his staff and cause the dust of the earth to become gnats. That's how this happens. Well, the the Egyptian god of the soil and the earth was Geb. And do you know how he was... um, Well, that's not true. He was the god of of, of earth and soil. And yet here, God is the one who is showing forth that he can, out of the dust and soil, make things alive. We've seen this before. Genesis 1-7. And the Lord God formed the man... Of what? Dust from the ground. And here he is doing it again. Geb is shamed. The fourth uh, plague is is that of flies. Um, You know, when we lived in Montgomery, I left the back door open once for like two or three minutes. And a great swarm of flies came into the house and we quickly closed the door. And I spent the next hour killing flies. My magazine rolled up and being ruthless. It took me an hour and I counted 17 flies. Can you imagine that there were so many flies as you looked at the pews in front of you, they were moving. When they were on your arms, you couldn't shoo them away. You had to wipe them. And as soon as you wiped off your arm, thousands more would land right there. Your face covered in flies. It's likely this is the, what's called the dog fly. And the dog fly was a blood-sucking fly that bit both animals and men. And it hurt. So not only do you have the annoyance of having all these flies on you, but they're biting you all the time. Well, there's something going on here too. The Egyptian god Udachit. I don't know if that's how you say it, was often pictured as a fly. Where was the Lord of the flies? He had nothing to do. He could not do it. He could not control the flies, this great plague that came because Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he had disobeyed God. Well, it just gets worse. Next comes the pestilence on the livestock. Remembering that Pharaoh could have stopped this at any time. He could have repented. He could have turned away. But next, it is a pestilence against the livestock of Egypt, the ones that are in the field at this point. 
You know, we as Americans get to eat a lot of meat, and that's a real privilege. That's a real luxury when you think worldwide. We don't, we don't think about the importance of livestock beyond just what's on our table or in our glasses with milk. But in an agrarian society, livestock is everything. From your clothing, to your food, to your transportation, and to your heavy labor for plowing your fields up. And everything out in the fields dies. Can you imagine going by a cattle farm and they're all dead? Or the stink of a pig farm. They stink already. And yet they all die. But there's something going on here too. The God of the universe is going toe-to-toe with Pharaoh and his gods. And, and you better believe we know who wins this one. Because the Egyptians were bull worshippers. There were temples all over Egypt where they had uh, orders of priests who were there to help people worship living cows, living bulls. And here as these priests come to help and lead these people to worship the bull, there it is that here you hear the last moo and it dies. God is shaming and showing that our false gods can do nothing for us. He showed his superior over Buccus and uh, Ta and Ra and Apis and Isis and Hathor. Another one bites the dust. But notice that not one of the livestock of the Hebrews dies. In the land of Goshen, where the Hebrews live, where the Israelites are, not a single cow dies. God's judgment is upon the nations for the salvation of His people. He will save them by a mighty right hand. And in the sixth plague, that of boils, we see things ratcheting up a little bit more. It's one thing to have frogs in your kneading bowl. It's another thing for the blood and pus to ooze out of your hands as you're kneading your bread bowl. Because that's what this is. Open sores all over your body. It got so bad that the magicians who had been trying to keep up with Moses and quit after uh, the fourth plague... They can't even stand in the presence of Moses anymore. Their bodies are covered in in boils. Where the Egyptian gods, Amon, Ra, and Seket, the physician gods who healed, where were the Egyptian gods, Thoth and Imhotep, the gods of of healing arts and the gods of medicine? They were nowhere to be found. They were shown merely to be pictures and false gods. But then comes the seventh plague of hail. The cycle continues. Judgment comes and Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He hardens his heart. It was hardened and God hardens his heart. All three show up. God is using Pharaoh for his glory to show forth his power and that we and they, the Hebrews, the Egyptians, all the earth might know that the Lord is God. So the seventh plague comes and it's hail. Now here's the thing, with this one we have a warning. Moses shows up and says, look, if, through Aaron, if, if you, this is going to happen tomorrow. Anything left out in the fields is going to die. Slaves and, uh, and livestock. You have a chance to put your stuff inside the gates, inside the stables, so that they might live. Now Pharaoh, going toe-to-toe with God, does not. But it's really interesting. Because we begin to see that other people's eyes are beginning to be opened to the fact that there is someone other than their false gods in charge here. In 920, 
We see that when whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. There's going to be, and we'll see this later in our study, there's going to be this growing group of Egyptians who as they see the plagues, as they see the mighty hand of God, as they see the salvation of God's people, they see that salvation can only come from Yahweh, the Lord God of hosts. And when they leave, when the Israelites leave, a mixed multitude of both Hebrews and converted Egyptians will leave for the promised land. God's fame would go forth throughout all the land that we might know, that others might know, through all history, who is behind these plagues. Rahab, when the spies came into Jericho, she remembered, she knew, 40 some odd years later. The psalmists would remember time and time again, and now we worship our God, the God of the Exodus, who has led us out of the greater captivity, captivity to sin. And through all this, Pharaoh's heart remains hard. And so another round begins, that of locusts. Um, imagine drawing on a concrete with a piece of chalk a, a rectangle five feet long and two feet wide. How many locusts do you think you could fit on there? That's about that, that biggish, you know. 100? 200? New York Times, in a recent locust storm, counted. 10,000. A square mile in a bad locust storm will have between 100 and 200 million locusts. Modern Egypt is 390,100 square miles. I don't know what it was back then. But if you take this, these numbers, 200 million for 390,100 square miles, you're looking at 78 trillion, 20 billion locusts. These locusts are everywhere. And locusts will eat their body weight in food every day. Can you imagine the famine this must have created for that which was left after the hailstorm? There's great famine. This is, this is Egypt. Where do you go when there's famine? And suddenly for all these millions of inhabitants, there is no food except where? In the land of Goshen where God cares for His people. Where are the gods, men, the protector of the crops, Nepri, the god of the grain, Isis, Anubis, and Senehim, who were to protect the crops? Who is in control here? Who is in control of our lives? In the midst of all these plagues, who is in control? It is not the false gods here on the scene of the Egyptians. It is not our gods. It is not those counterfeit idols, those, those counterfeit gods that we go after so often. What plagues you? What bothers you at night? What keeps you from getting rest? What causes your heart to be bitter for you to question God's presence and His ability and His power? Our false gods of security, identity, self-help, uh, image, wealth, pleasure, status, money. These things are just as useless as men in Isis and Anubis and Imhotep. They will not save us. And yet, how often do we run to those things to find our identity and our significance? People's opinion of me. How well I do at work. My friends, those will not save us. And yet, so often I go after them, thinking that's my identity. 
instead of my identity being found in Christ. Because here's the thing, Christ has taken the plague for us. The Father has plagued His Son. He has sent forth the hail of His fury, the locusts of His wrath, the pestilence of our sin, and the boils of the chastisement that we deserve, so that we who are His enemies might be brought near, forgiven, be brought into His household, that we might be called the children of God. Why would He do this? Why would He save His people here in the Exodus? Why would He save you and me? It's not because we're righteous. It's not because we're good. It is because of His love and we are His people. And it means something when you are God's people. He tells Pharaoh, you've got my people. I'm not going to let it stand. I'm going to give you a chance. But then I'm going to harden your heart so that I'll receive the glory and all the earth may know that I am the Lord God. And that was being declared at the cross, our forgiveness and our redemption, that He is the Lord God who loves us so much that He would send His only begotten Son that whoever looks upon Him in faith and turns from the false gods of Anubis or Imhotep or, or success or failure or people's opinion of us, that we would turn from those things and turn to Him, we too might have salvation and eternal life. Because it finally gets worse, and that's darkness. This darkness ultimately points us to the darkness of hell, right? Hell has many different um, images in the New Testament of, of darkness and fire, of wailing and gnashing of teeth, of being outside the presence of God. Well, they experienced three days of it, the ninth plague. It gets pretty dark on moonless nights, but that's not the kind of dark here. There's still some ambient light then. This is cave dark. You can't see your hand in front of your face dark. And for three days, it's so dark it can be felt. They don't even move. They can't see each other. But why is this one worse than the rest? Because the Egyptians worshipped the sun. They looked up in the sun and instead of seeing it pointing to a creator, they said, that sun, it created us. That's our creator. And so there were four different gods of the sun. Three during the day of of Horus, the god of sunrise, and and Aten, the god of the midday round sun, and Atum, the god of the sunset. But the greatest god was Amun-Ra, who was the creator god. But it gets worse. It gets better, right? Pharaoh was the son of Amun-Ra, the creator God. You would look at Pharaoh and you would seen their greatest God. Can you imagine the cries of the servants in the palace as they cried out, Pharaoh, son of Amun-Ra, it's time to turn the lights back on. For three days they cried out, they couldn't see each other, they couldn't leave their spot, they didn't know where they were. Pharaoh, help us! And how his responses must have gotten shorter... And less PG rated as the days went on. And here he is, the greatest king of the greatest superpower, laid waste by the one true God. And just like those metal targets for the pistols, God had knocked them down one by one. 25 or 26 Egyptian gods we've mentioned this morning. God showed that he alone is to be glorified, he alone is to be worshiped, he alone is God. My friends, do you know this God? Do you know this God? There's no other place where we can find salvation. There's no other place where we can find help when we face darkness, when we face hardships. He alone can help. 
because there was another son of God, not the son of Amon-Ra, the son of the true living God, Jesus, who would come and do something for his people. Luke 23 tells us that when our Savior, the true Son of God, hung on the cross, that creation was confused and there was darkness over the land for three hours. And then Christ's body would lie on the dark ground for three days until He arose, bringing light to our souls and transferring us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light to all those who turn from their false gods and look to Jesus for salvation. Let's pray. Our Father in our heaven, our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have visited the plagues that we deserve upon our Savior, your Son, Jesus. We thank you that you've saved us from the darkness of hell. Lord, help us then to worship you alone, to trust in you alone. For you are our God who has helped us in the past, are doing so now and will forever. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen.